Do you ever find it difficult to worship God? By that, I don't mean do you ever find it difficult to come here and to gather here and to be here. I really don't mean do you find it difficult to know how to worship God. And the Bible instructs us on how to do that and tells us what God wants in our worship to Him. But do you ever find it difficult, really, to come before God and worship Him? I'm not talking about something you want to do or don't want to do. I'm talking about do you really grasp what it means for the creature, the created one rather, the, cre the creature, to go before the Creator? For just us, mere humans, finite men, to go before the eternal being who's always existed, do we have some idea of the power and majesty of God as He just speaks the world into existence from nothing? When we talk about the beauty around us today and all the blessings we have, and rightfully so, imagine that coming from the one who just spoke it into existence from nothing. And then there it is. Do we really understand what it means to go before God and offer our sacrifices to Him. And somebody might be quick to say, oh no, no, we don't even offer sacrifices today. That's, that's all part of the old law. If you think that, you need to spend more time reading the New Testament. Where the New Testament speaks of our songs as a sacrifice to God. Our prayers as a sacrifice to God. First Peter writes that we today offer spiritual sacrifices. Has God accepted your sacrifice this morning? In the Old Testament, when we read about the temple, and as the Jews would approach the temple to prepare for their worship, and they would come to the temple and they would approach the temple using the southern steps. That sounds simple enough. What's the big deal about the steps, after all? It's kind of interesting to study this. The southern steps that led up to the temple area, not the temple proper, but the temple area, goes through the outer wall. These steps were sometimes called the teaching steps because rabbis would sit on these steps and they would teach to those who would come and gather there to listen. It's a large set of steps and the steps, interestingly enough, were not uniform. That is, the risers, or the vertical portion of the steps, actually varied from 7 to 10 inches in height. They were not all the same height. And then the steps themselves, the horizontal portion, would vary from 12 to as much as 35 inches deep. See, they weren't uniform. And that was for a purpose. Because it forced people, as they came up the steps, to do so slowly and deliberately. And it forced the people actually to look down at the steps while they were walking up them because they weren't the same. And because they had to look down at the steps to walk up them, it forced them to approach the temple with their heads bowed before God. You look in your Bible and read the Psalms, particularly, I believe, Psalms 120 to 134. 
Many of your Bibles will have a heading in these psalms that these are psalms of degrees or psalms of ascent. The reason they're called psalms of ascent is because they would sing these psalms as they ascended up the stairs preparing to go and worship their God. You see what all was taking place here? Their worship was something that they spent time not just in worship, but they spent time preparing their mind for that. Their worship was not something that they took flippantly or took lightly. They're going before their Creator. The mere humans going before the Almighty God to offer their sacrifices to Him. Well, today I go to John, the fourth chapter, verse 20, I don't know, 21 to 24, particularly. We're familiar with that text, I believe. Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. This passage has always kind of bothered me for years. It's bothered me. It doesn't bother me anymore. Because I figured it out. But for years it bothered me because I've always been convinced this passage does not mean what probably 99% of people, including preachers, say it means. It's common to read John 4. 24 or so, and you know, we understand Jesus is God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so that means, of course, this is a common explanation then, that means, of course, that we must worship God in spirit, meaning with the right attitude, and in truth, meaning in the way that he's instructed us. That's true. I don't disagree with that at all. God will not accept our worship unless we worship Him in the right attitude and in the way that He has instructed. I don't have a problem with that. I just don't think that's what John 4 is teaching. Because you look at John 4 and it begins with this woman asking Him, we, meaning the Samaritans, we say we worship at this mount, meaning Mount Gerizim, that was where the Samaritans had built their temple. You, the Jews, say you worship at the temple there in Jerusalem. And she's asking him, which is it? What is the right place? Where are we supposed to worship? The temple on Mount Gerizim built by the Samaritans or the one in Jerusalem built by... Well, it wasn't really built by Herod, but it was kind of modified and altered portions of it were built by Herod later, so commonly referred to as Herod's Temple. Solomon's was destroyed and Zerubbabel rebuilt it and later kind of modified by Herod. But she said, where's the right place to worship? That's what she's asking. Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem? And now Jesus says, God, he tells us that God is wanting, desiring true worshipers to come to him and worship today. But notice Jesus says, God is a spirit. Don't leave that part out. God is a spirit. And those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's the best way to keep from hitting that, isn't it? God is a spirit. And those that must worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. See her question? Where? This temple? This physical temple? Or this physical temple? That's her question. Which physical temple are we going to go to worship? And Jesus is saying, notice he says, but the hour is coming 
and now is. Jesus is indicating there's going to be a change taking place. The hour is coming and now is, meaning now it's very near. It's nigh. The hour is coming. And he goes on to say, God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit. I believe you can read that. God is a spirit. And because of that, because God is a spirit, you must worship Him with your spirit. As opposed to the carnal, fleshly aspect of the physical temple under the old law. And then you must worship Him in truth. Meaning the time is coming and is very near when you will worship Him in the true temple. You see the point? Look at Acts 17. I think it's about verse 47 or so. There you read, Jesus, or God, rather, God does not dwell in temples made with hands. As though He needed anything. He's not dwelling in a physical temple anymore. Well, I could go to Hebrews. I think Hebrews chapter 8, verse 2, thereabouts. And notice it talks there about Christ as our high priest who ministers in the true tabernacle. Christ is ministering in the true tabernacle. You go to 1 Peter, and again, 1 Peter talks about how we as Christians are lively stones and put us all together and we make up a spiritual house. See, if you think God is a spirit, and they that may worship Him must worship in spirit and truth, meaning the right way and with the right attitude, there's no change taking place. Even under the old law, they had to worship Him in the right way with the right attitude. That was That's always been the case, hasn't it? So if you say, well, you know, the right way and the right uh, attitude, there's no change taking place, is there? But Jesus said, but the hour is coming and now is when God seeks true worship Him True worshipers who will worship Him with their spirits. See, we're not offering animal sacrifices today. We're not burning incense. We're not doing any of those things that they did in the temple. We're not wearing the priestly garments as they did under the old law. We're not doing it because our worship now is more spiritual as opposed to the physical under the old law. Now, if you think that doesn't make sense, Keep studying is all I'm saying. And along with that, come back and tell me if the right attitude in the right way, tell me how that answers the woman's question. Because it doesn't. But put all of this together now. How we're worshiping Him in the true temple today. Think about what took place in order to prepare for their worship as they approached the temple in the southern steps. Singing the, singing the Psalms of Ascent. Approaching the temple with their heads bowed as they came to come to the place where God dwelt. Their meeting of God. It makes me wonder. Is it probable, or I guess is it at least possible, that today there are times when we become too comfortable with our worship? Maybe we've become too familiar with God. I know Jesus says, you're my friends if you do whatsoever 
command you. He said, I'll lay down my life for his friend. We sing a song, I'll be a friend of Jesus. That's perfectly fine. It's a scriptural song. But I may be a friend of Jesus, but I don't ever need to treat anyone in the Godhead like he's my casual friend. I don't need to ever treat anyone in the Godhead the same way I would treat one of my co-workers or classmates. To put it very plainly and bluntly and un as an understatement, I'm not on his level. I'm not on his level. We're coming today and singing the songs we're praying today and we have this Lord's Supper today. We're doing all of this before our holy God. We're going to look at five points concerning our worship. And if you're taking notes, they all begin with an A, so you can go ahead right now and write down five A's, one under the other. If you're not taking notes, well, you ought to be. Because we need to remember this. But when we talk about our worship, first of all, our worship is an act. Now, I don't mean by that we're just acting. I mean it's an act in that it's something we do as opposed to just an emotion. Sometimes people want to build their worship all around some kind of emotion. And as long as the emotions are there, God's accepted our worship. No, that's not, that's not true. That's false. Now, I'm not going to take the position that our worship should be cold, rigid, stoic, void of emotion. Well, that's, the, that's the opposite extreme. That's the wrong extreme. There must be some emotion involved. Notice even in Romans 6, there when Paul's writing to Romans, he said, you have obeyed from the heart. Notice he said, you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. He's putting the two together, isn't he? There's a right form of doctrine and there's a wrong form of doctrine. They obeyed the right doctrine, if you will, the right teaching, but they did that from the heart. And most likely they experienced godly sorrow. And then they went away rejoicing. You want to use that phrase from the Ethiopian in Acts 8. God of sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7 leads to repentance. Our, our worship doesn't need to be void of any emotion. But it's a mistake to think that because the emotion is there, God's going to accept our worship. Worship is an act. That is, it's something we do. It's not something we feel. Look at Luke 2, 36 and 7. Anna departed not from the temple, but she worshipped God. How did she do that? She worshipped God with means or by fasting and prayer. It would be an interesting study for today, wouldn't it? I guess for some other day, but the point here is it was something she did. Something she did. Look at, look at, um, mention the Ethiopian eunuch. Look at the Ethiopian in Acts, the 8th chapter. Here the Ethiopian, he travels hundreds of miles to Jerusalem in order to worship, the Bible tells us. Surely nobody's going to say he traveled hundreds of miles to Jerusalem to experience an emotion. But he had this emotion. And again in John 4, the woman at the well, she's not asking Jesus, where are we supposed to go to, to experience this emotion? Where are we supposed to go to, to have this and in the context, Jesus is talking about worshipers now, true worshiper. She's saying, where should we go to carry out our worship and present our worship to God? That's what she's asking. So our worship is an act. Not, not play-like, not pretense there, but it's something we do. It's something that's done. But second, 
our worship. That is acceptable worship. That's what we're talking about. We don't want to talk about worship that's not acceptable. Our, our worship needs to be acceptable. Acceptable worship involves an audience, doesn't it? And that's obvious. It involves an audience. The thing we need to remember is God is the audience. It's not me. It's not you. God is the audience. Now I know sometimes you may even hear preachers talk about those who are in the audience today and in that sense, in that context, that's fine. I understand that. I don't really have a problem with that. But the fact is, when we're worshiping God and presenting our spiritual sacrifices to God, God is the audience. That is, He's the one we're directing our worship to. It's not me. It's not people. Notice in Matthew 4 and verse 10, Jesus told Satan, You shall worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shall I serve. But if you choose not to worship God, and whatever, you see, you choose to love and obey something else, and that becomes your God. That becomes the object of your worship. Who all do you think is listening to us today? Even as I preach now. Who all do you think is listening to us as we sing and as we pray? Well, you just said God's the audience. God's listening. God hears. Actually, I believe all of the Godhead hears. All three of them. But there's an interesting passage as well when you go to 1 Corinthians 11 chapter. And I believe 1 Corinthians 11, oh, maybe about verse 10, I believe, or so. In 1 Corinthians 11, it's discussing whether women should wear uh, coverings over their head, a type of veil or something like that. And just, I think the best way to explain that briefly it's just keep in mind, I think that was a custom of their day. And it wasn't just doing it because it was fashionable. It was doing it because when they had this covering over their head, it was a way of expressing their submission to authority of the males. It wasn't just a fashion statement. But notice you get to 1 Corinthians 11 and 10, and there he specifically says, I would that women would wear these coverings on their head, but there's an interesting expression there. He says, because of the angels. Now if we're going to gather to worship, and they gather, they gather to worship in their time, and he says, you need to do this. Women, you need to do this. Because of the angels. I may be, well, sorry to say I may be wrong. I may be. I don't think so. I don't know how else to understand 1 Corinthians 11 when he says because of the angels unless the angels are present and watching. As I believe they are today. You know, the Bible tells us when one sinner repents, the angels rejoice, does it not? How are they going to know that unless they're watching? Perhaps angels are a lot more active than we realize. They're doing more than just spending time in heaven with God. You know, sometimes we see things happening around us, and sometimes I, I can tell you of places, you'll see this even within the Lord's church. People have adapted their worship services and they're doing it in different ways, you know, and just because it's different, that doesn't make it unscriptural. And just because I like it doesn't make it bad or unacceptable to God. But I will tell you, there's some things going on that you see sometimes that seem to me to concentrate almost more on 
on the audience being the people in the pews. Because things can happen where the people in the pews become more of spectators than they do participants. I've been to... Well, I've watched on TV people in the church who've done this. I've been to a lot of denominational places that have done this because when I met people's funerals, you know, instead of a person leading singing up here, you'll have maybe six people, some male, female, and they're all leading the singing while others are singing along. I'm going to tell you from my experience, I've seen a lot of it. And I'm going to tell you that takes on the atmosphere of performance real quick. And you just watch as they're singing and people are quietly sitting in the pews listening. We're not the audience. God is. God is. But our worship must be done. Well, I might mention something else before I go along past that, actually, because, you know, God is the audience. Now, someone might say, well, look, no, let's look at Ephesians 5 19, for example. It talks about our singing. And there it says, you know, that we are to teach and admonish one another in psalms. So, speaking to yourselves and Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So I guess we are speaking to ourselves there, are we not? There's a sense, and maybe we are the audience in that in that context. But notice Ephesians 5.19, because keep on reading and read the rest of the verse. In the very same verse, he says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. She ultimately God's the audience. But number three here, our worship must be done with the right attitude. I think that's the hardest maybe for me. I mean, not that I have a bad attitude. I don't think I did. I guess I've been told I have about some things, but not worship. But it must be done with the right attitude. And I think maybe that's difficult for us to really understand what it means again. What is man that thou art mindful of him? David's for such a worm as I am, see? And here we are, mere humans coming before the Almighty God, the Creator, the One who spoke the world into existence, the One who parted the Red Sea, the One who raised Lazarus from the dead, the One who does all of these things just with His voice. Do you find it difficult sometimes to find adequate words that really express the praise of God that He so rightfully deserves? We need to come, realize with our attitude that we're coming before the Almighty God, who 1 John 1 5 describes as a God in His light. This is God is light, and Him there is no darkness, there's no sin, there's no hint of sin, nothing to be found. It stands in stark contrast to us, does it not? Look at Genesis 1.1. When we worship God, we offer our worship to God again, the Creator. In the beginning, God created. What a powerful statement that is. And I believe it's significant that that's how our Bible starts. Out of all the 66 books that made up our Bible, the Holy Spirit could have chose to start that Bible in so many ways. So many words could be used. But he starts in the beginning, God created. That's significant. Because if God didn't create you and me, 
There's nothing else from here there on out that even matters, is it? Nothing you can read after Genesis 1-1 would even matter. It would be no significance if God did not make man. Genesis 1-1. Well, our worship must be carried out and done. Here's your fourth point. With the right atmosphere. What do I mean by atmosphere? You know, we understand this in other areas of life. We know what it means when we're talking about atmosphere. I mean, think about sporting events. Let's go to a baseball game. I don't really like to talk about sports, movies, or any of that in sermons, but I'm going to do it anyway today. Maybe it's a decent illustration. It's not, forgive me. But let's go to a baseball game. Let's imagine now your team's at bat at the bottom of the ninth. You're behind them by a run. But you've got a man on second. And now your next guy comes up to take his bat. What are people in the stands going to be doing? The ones I've been to with a situation like that, man, they're loud. You might even see words come up on the board scoreboard or something. You know, make some noise. It's going to be loud. It's a very tense moment. But you're kind of cheering this guy on, man. And you want, you want him to do something, and you're loud. And that's expected. And if you've even been at a situation like that in an enclosed stadium with 40,000 people playing, you'll know that noise is just awesome. Now imagine your fella hits this home run right over the fence. Here comes a guy on second. Here he comes trotting around the bases, the winning run. That's when the noise really starts. People are standing up, cheering, stomping their feet, yelling as loud as they can. That's acceptable. <laughs> you know, there are some other sports. Let's watch a golf game. City of Arlington. Let's watch the fellow try to make this winning putt. And if you watch a golf game on television, and he's trying to make this putt. Well, there'll be a lot of people around him watching, but generally they're going to be silent. Now, when he, if he makes a putt, they may clap a little. That's about as excited, I guess, as golfer getting. They may, but they're going to be quiet and watch. We understand this. We understand the atmosphere in other situations of life. Imagine going to a movie, and, and I've probably been in the theater, I don't know, maybe twice in the last five years. I don't know. I can't remember. So I know it's been a while. But imagine there's a movie coming out. Man, you're all excited about seeing this movie. You're looking for the day this movie comes out. And boy, you get it and you buy your ticket. And you, you even, you know, now you can pick which seat you're going to sit in when you buy this ticket. You know, and, and you've got it just right. I mean, you've got the right day, the right theater, the right seat, everything. You're going to sit in and enjoy this movie. And a few minutes into this movie, there's a couple across the aisle from you that are constantly talking. They're constantly making noise. What are you going to think? Can y'all not be quiet? I came here to watch this movie. See? And you may even go to some of the theater staff and ask them, can you make this couple be quiet? I'm trying to, I've paid money and I've been looking forward to this. Let me watch the movie, will you? See, we understand this in other areas of life. Again, I don't want to take our worship service and make them something where we're just rigid and cold and have a cold feeling in the building. It's not from the air conditioning. You know, 
But we understand the importance of atmosphere in other areas of life. And our worship needs to be done in an atmosphere that is proper, presentable to God. It needs to be done in an atmosphere that's conducive to worship. It needs to be done in an atmosphere that is not disruptive. It needs to be done in an atmosphere that is not distracting to others. It needs to be done in an atmosphere that does not prevent others from coming to their God and worshiping Him. If you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. And not because I said it. But if you don't remember anything else I say today, please mark in your Bible Psalm 89 verse 7. Psalm 89 and 7. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. You think that's significant? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. Someone says, yeah, 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 you're reading from the Psalms again. That's the Old Testament. Well, it's Old Testament, I agree. But is there anything about God that today He's less deserving of reverence than He was? And if someone would want to question that, then let's go to Hebrews 12, 28-29. We're going to begin a study of Hebrews on Wednesday nights. I think Colt told me I'm supposed to start the 23rd. You see all the types and antitypes in Hebrews. Wonderful book. But in Hebrews 12, 28-29, whereby we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. It's this eternal kingdom that Daniel prophesied of. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and fear. Can I conclude from that? I think I can. That if I come before God and I worship Him without reverence and without this fear of God, I'm not worshiping Him acceptably. Because He says, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and fear. And here's another part of that very same verse. Verse 29. This should cause us to uh, have some concern. Maybe cause us to be afraid. I don't know. You can think that and prove for yourself. But in Hebrews 12, 29, 4, the word there means because. See, let us serve God acceptably with reverence and fear because our God is a consuming fire. The last point. Acceptable worship simply means we must have uh, authorization for the things that we do. That is, it's not up to me to decide what to do. Listen, there are places right here in Camden where people can dance on the stage and they call that their form of worshiping to God. They're part of their worship to God. That's how they express it. See, I can't worship God just any way I want. And you think about it. I am the create creature, the created being going before the Creator. It's pretty arrogant, I believe. It's awfully arrogant. For me to try to decide what worship God will accept and what worship He will not. 
He's already told me what he will accept. Has he not? Look at Colossians 2 and verse 23. Colossians 2 23 speaks of will worship. Now read that in its context. It's an interesting phrase. Will worship. But will there is not a verb. Will is an adjective describing that worship. And he describes it as will worship. And in its context, he's describing people who worship according to their will rather than God's will. You see, again, must our worship be sincere? Of course. But something can be sincere and still not be pleasing to God. If I start to worship God according to my will, I'm going to decide what worship is right. I'm going to decide what pleases God. I'm going to decide how we're going to do this. And, you know, I am going to do this. And, and, and then it becomes conforming to my will rather than God's. And then that's the worship we read about in Colossians 2 23. It's, it's, it's will worship. And it tells us He's not going to accept that. Look at Matthew 15 and verse 9. Matthew 15 and verse 9. For in vain do they worship me. So there's your vain worship. In vain do they worship me. Oh, I don't doubt they were sincere. When I read Matthew 15, 9, Jesus doesn't say they worship me in vain because they weren't sincere. I don't really think that's the problem. Maybe it was. I don't know. I don't think so. In Matthew 15, 9, He says, For in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. See, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men, meaning these things have their origin in man, not God. See, look at so many things today people are doing as part of their worship to God. It's commandments of men. It has an origin in men. People think it's kind of odd, I guess, that we don't have instruments of music. You know what really ought to be thought of as odd? The fact that people do have them. That that's odd that they have them. Because there's no authority for it in the Scriptures. And I understand what it means to... Uh, I understand what Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16 mean. I'm willing to discuss that with anybody. They're going to tell you about Psalm or something you pluck. No, you're plucking your heart. The heart strings of your heart. That's what it's talking about. Read the words. People think it's odd. No, really, it's odd that you have them because the Bible doesn't authorize. The Bible doesn't teach you to do it. Look at so many things they're doing. You see, it's the commandments of men. That's had the origin of men. In fact, study the word acapella. Sometimes people say, well, your music is acapella. Study the very word acapella. You know what acapella means? Capella is a Latin word that meant chapel. And when they talked about acapella music, it meant in the style of the chapel or in the style of the church. Because that's the way you go to the church today. See, here we are. We're coming to God now <clears throat> to offer our spiritual sacrifices to God. There's something about our worship that will make it acceptable. Something about our worship that can make it unacceptable. Is that right? But our worship must be directed to God as the audience, carried out with the proper attitude, done in the proper atmosphere. And of course, we must have scriptural authorization for all that we do in worship. That simply means we use the word authorization and scriptural authorization. 
That simply means we must do what God has instructed us. Pretty simple.